0: All right, if you'll turn over to the seventh chapter of Romans again. And we have been methodically working our way through this book. Uh, By my count, this is message number 35 in this book of the Bible. And we have arrived at verse number 14. Verse 14 in itself seems like a very small, short verse. Yet in it sets really the context and the direction for the remainder of this chapter. Now what I want to do, we're going to primarily be dealing with just one verse today, which is going to be verse 14, but what I'd like to do is read down through verse 17 because I will be making reference to other verses. We're not going to expound them as much as we normally would until we get there, but I want to read these together because it helps give us a a greater understanding of what Paul is writing here. The Bible says in verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent under the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Now, just to kind of set the context for not only today but also the next couple of weeks, if you mark in your Bible and some of you do and some don't, that's okay, but look at verses 15 and 16 first. And this is the what has been referred to by some as the believers' quandary or the believers' riddle. In other words, if you read these two verses, he says, "That which I do, I allow not." For what I would, that do I not, but what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent out of the law that it is good. I don't know about you, but that's quite a riddle. That's quite a quandary. Paul writes about the things that he doesn't want to do, he does. He does them. And the things that he does not want to do, he does those. It is a constant quandary back and forth. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't do it. The things I'm not supposed to do, I do them. It is to say that there is this war within, this battle that is raging. I mentioned to you last week that the Apostle Paul, as he looked at these verses, and we look at these verses again, he wrote these verses on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We've been coming to this reality that although we're believers, and although Paul is a believer, it would be fair to say that Paul still loved the law, He didn't dismiss the law. He didn't say the law has no value. He loved the law. But here's an addition to that riddle. He loves the law, but he still breaks it. In other words, today, all of us could say collectively, we love the law of God. We ought to be able to say that. There should be nobody here today who's claimed Christ as their Savior who should say, I hate the laws of God. If we love the law, then why do we break it? That's what Paul is dealing with here. I love God's law, then why do I continue to break God's law? It all goes back to the reality of sin. And again, as we've talked about this this morning, understanding the depth of where sin resides, how, how far reaching sin is, we understand that that's what Paul is dealing with here. Now, on the one hand, and this is where we're going to get into this, and this is where I've kind of asked you to just pray with me today because this is, this is where we get into the reality of is this the experience of a believer or the experience of a non-believer? Now, most everybody has a very quick, let's jump to, I know what I believe, and that's completely okay. But I want you for a few minutes, I want you to stay with this. Because the ultimate reason that Paul is writing this, the ultimate goal of this text in its true context, is not to come to the conclusion to say, all right, Paul's writing about what he once was, or come to the conclusion that Paul is writing about what he now is. In our theological circles, we always seem to want to just draw this dogmatic conclusion and say, okay, since this is just for the regenerate man, it doesn't have anything to do with the unregenerate, or just because this is for the unregenerate man it has nothing to do with the regenerate, or, in other words, the saved and the unsaved. So if we get to the end of this text and we say, here's what I learned today. Paul was writing as a regenerate man or Paul was writing as unregenerate man. You will have missed the emphasis of the text. It will be a knowledge that you may have. You may say, well, I'm glad I settled that. I used to believe that that was Paul talking about now or that was Paul talking about then. That's not the point of the text. This is not about finding out who is Paul necessarily writing about. It's what Paul is dealing with. And when we look at this, in order to love God's law, we should at the same time hate sin. So in other words, if you say, I love the law, but I love sin, that's a red flag. If you say, I love the law of God, but I hate sin, That tells you that we have the right perspective. I love the law, but I don't do it. I hate sin, but that I do. See it? So here you have this riddle. Why do I continue to do the things I don't wanna do when I love the law of God? If I love God's law, then I hate sin. I should be able to conquer all things. If that was that simple, I could simply say, there's the message for the day. You love the law of God. You hate sin. God bless you. Have a great Lord's Day. That's not what Paul says. That's the quandary. Paul's actually saying, here's the reality. I love God's law, but I sin. Now, if you're on the side that says, this is Paul talking about a regenerate man, you're going to have a problem. Your problem's going to be, so you're telling me because you're regenerate or you're saved that you don't sin anymore. And the answer is, absolutely, that's false. So if you say this is an unregenerate man, here's the problem. The unregenerate man doesn't love the law of God, and he loves sin. So if you try to draw the line and just simply say, okay, here's all I'm getting out of this. I just want this preacher to tell me, finally, I want to settle it. Is Paul talking about a saved man or an unsaved man? Again, you've missed the reality. We hate sin, we love the law of God, but yet we still fall into it. If we would live perfect lives, if we could, if we could live a perfect life, we would have to say that we could keep the law and we would never sin. The Apostle Paul writes as a man who says, I cannot be a perfectly good law keeper. We can't justify sin. In other words, I can't say today I was justified in committing sin. I can't say I, I'm, I had a reason, I had a purpose. There was, I, I, I sinned because of. Sin, no matter what form, no matter what shape, whether it's intentional or unintentional, is an abomination to God and is a breaking of God's law, whether it was intentional or unintentional. Now you realize today there are unintentional sin. And you say, how in the world is unintentional sin? Paul speaks a little bit about that. We're not going to get to there today. But he says, now, then it is no more I that do it in verse 17, but sin that dwelleth in me. In other words, this is, this is not even something I had any intent. And again, don't take this as the dogmatic answer. We're not, we're not dealing with that verse primarily today. I'm just kind of showing you moving forward what we're talking about here, because we're not going to solve this riddle in just one message today but we do see something paul's talking about two things warring and fighting within him the love of the law and the hatred of sin the love of the law and the hatred of sin it's there now in those return in those regards he's talking about that's what a regenerate man is a, a saved person today we all have that same struggle you love the law of god but you hate sin Like if I was to take a poll, every one of you should say, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I love the law of God. I hate sin. We would all be right there. But as you introduce this final section of chapter 7, Paul sums these thoughts up. That's what verse 14 really is. It's a summing up of verses 14 through 25. He sums it up when he says this, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Now this is where the the, the camps say the regenerate Paul or the unregenerate Paul, but he speaks in present tense. He says, "I am carnal, sold under sin." Tense in the Bible is important. Tense in the Bible is important because it gives us some context. There are good men of God along the years who have completely and dogmatically said from verse 14 all the way through the end of the chapter, Paul was talking about what he used to be. There are other people who say this is dogmatically, this is Paul saying this is what I am as a regenerate person. And each one of those arguments, looking at the text, causes some questions, not contradictions. The Bible does not contradict itself It causes questions of the mind. The if, if this, then this must be. Everybody follow me? If this is the case, then this has to be. The human mind is arguing and wrestling with this and trying to come to a conclusion. How can this be? How can I love the law of God? Or as Paul says, how can I know that it's no more me doing it, but it's the sin that's dwelling in me that's doing it? And therein lies what verse 14 introduces. It introduces the most one of the most important portions of scripture that leads us all the way to the end of the chapter when Paul says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Do you see this? This is just an introduction. Do you see what he's saying? I thank God through Christ, so then with the mind I myself serve the law, but with the flesh, the law of sin. As I mentioned to you last week, when we introduced this this over this week and the last week, I can't remember where we started. Chapter seven is sometimes referred to as one of the most controversial in the Bible. It may be behind, or maybe behind Romans nine, which we'll get to in a few weeks. But it's unfortunate that it's caused controversy because the controversy is missing the main point. The controversy people are arguing about is what I've already mentioned to you. Is this a saved Paul or an unsaved Paul? The emphasis is on the reality of sin. The the emphasis is on what sin really is. And that how sin not only affects part of the man, it affects the entirety of man. Sin affects you from the crown of your head to the sole of your feet. Sin is not just making an unfortunate decision. Sin is not just, oh, I chose wrong. Sin is not just one instance of rebellion. It's not one instance of disobedience. Sin is not one wrong thought. Sin is not one wrong action. Sin is the very entirety of man. Now, here's one thing I can tell you. Whether you're saved or unsaved, sin is the entirety of that man. That's why you miss the point here. If you just say, Paul's talking about a regenerate, whew, that puts the unregenerate off the hook. Or he's only talking about the unsaved, praise God I'm saved, I don't have to worry about this. You miss the point. Because somehow along the way, what we've missed is we've missed the reality of what sin actually does trying to discern who this man is, whether he's regenerate or unregenerate. That's a distraction. You're missing the truths that every believer here should be seeking. So today what you should be looking for is I want the truth. I'm going to put aside my presuppositions. I'm going to put aside whatever I think he's talking about and just let the text over the next few weeks show me what the main point is. Now, there are very few chapters in which Paul exposes not just the power of sin, but the root of sin. Where does sin originate? Where where is its source? In other words, did, this is basic, did Adam become a sinner when he sinned? And the answer is no, he already was a sinner. Okay, So if I have the idea today that Adam was perfect before he sinned, I'm missing the point. He was already a sinner. The sin was a manifestation of what he really is. Now when we look at it this way and we begin to think about this, these chapters, or these verses rather, begin to expose and they clarify, most importantly, the role of the law. Okay, now remember, we're not just dealing with coming to this conclusion, saved or unsaved. What's the role of the law in a believer's life? We've already established this truth. The law doesn't save you, right? I can't be justified by the law. I can't be redeemed by keeping the law. So if I love the law of God as a believer, what role does it play in my life now? Because I'm not just supposed to dismiss it. I'm not supposed to just say, the law, didn't, the law couldn't save me, so I don't need the law for anything. No, you need the law for the other aspect of your Christian life. You're justified, but it's also part of your sanctification. Paul's talking about something here that is much deeper than just something we can put in and or and say, let's move on. Nothing and no section like verses 14 and 25 has fueled more debate. That debate is not based upon who Paul is, but what Paul was. He's a sinner. Paul would have never told you after his conversion that he was no longer a sinner. Pre-conversion, Paul might have told you he wasn't a sinner. Because Paul called himself the Pharisee of the Pharisees. Which you know he's basically saying? He was basically saying, I keep the law. So at one point, Paul would have very easily said, the law, I keep it. But Paul, after conversion, would have said, I love the law, and I, but I keep doing the things I don't want to do. I keep breaking God's law, and I don't want to. It's really quite a riddle. The emphasis is on the horrific realities of sin. Let me tell you, sin is horrific, whether it's in the believer or the unbeliever. So if I was to say today, sin in the believer is not so bad. Sin in the non-believer is really bad. That's not accurate. Sin in its reality is horrific in any of those two sources. If it's present in the believer, it's horrible. If it's a non-believer, it's horrible. And the reality here is, is that in these first six chapters of Romans... We've been learning this one concept. You say, preacher, is one concept. We spend all this time. Yeah, because the Bible needs to show us this concept, that the reality is it is impossible to attain justification by keeping the law. That's what we've learned from Romans 1 through 6. Someone says, what, what, what did you learn in the first six chapters of Romans? If you say that, you've got the point. Okay? It is impossible to attain justification by the keeping of the law. The main point of Romans 7 is to dramatically illustrate what happens now if you seek sanctification apart from the Holy Spirit through the law. In other words, if I'm seeking my sanctification by now keeping the law, I'm going to come up short. If the the law couldn't justify me, the law can't sanctify me. Folks, this this is important. Because the same people who say, I can't be saved by the law, say, I can be sanctified by the law. I'll just keep it. Folks, if you couldn't keep it for your justification, you can't keep it for your sanctification. Because there's still a war in the members going on. And you can't just dismiss one from the other. Sanctification is being conformed into the image of Christ. It is a work of the Holy Spirit of God. It is not a work. When the guys read today Galatians 5, they read read about the fruits of the Spirit. Those fruits of the Spirit are a result of what the Holy Spirit did, not your keeping of the law. Why? Because in and of yourself, just like everything else, you're just like Paul. The things I should do, I don't. The things I don't want to do, I do them. If you think Paul was loving and had a a meek spirit about him because he was keeping the law, you've misunderstood Paul altogether. The reality is is we've so made this thing that we can so push sin easily away from us that it's not really causing the havoc that it really is causing. Paul will tell you if if we were able to speak to him in glory, I don't know what that's going to be. But if you think you're going to walk to Paul and say, hey, Paul, what was it like after you gained complete victory over the war in your members? He's going to say, and I'm, I'm not trying to be silly, what are you talking about? Did you not read Romans 7? Did you not read my words on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit about the struggle I was having? What gave you the idea? That after I got saved, I suddenly had complete victory over the deep-rooted sin nature that I had. What gave you that idea? And you'd be saying, um, mm, I don't know. You've just been a Bible hero. He's a Bible hero who still had a sin nature. Every one of these heroes of the Bible still had a battle going on, even after they were saved. And most of these heroes would have told you the same thing. I love the law of God. I hate sin, then why in the world did I do what I just did? Think, look at the sins of Noah. I mean, here's the man that was one of the eight spared, and look at Noah's life. Now, you're going to come to the conclusion Noah was unregenerate. I hope not. So, whether Paul's talking about the New Testament or talking about the Old Testament, He's dealing with something that is much more here than just simply, hey, let's just come to a conclusion here. Is this guy saved or unsaved? But we do know this. If you seek sanctification by the keeping of the law, you're making the same mistake you were making if you're trying to justify yourself by keeping the law. You can't do it. Paul's already proven justification by the law is impossible. Now he seeks to prove that the same thing is true with sanctification. Romans 7, 14 through 25 prove that the law was not given to bring either. In other words, today, God did not give the law of God to provide justification if you could keep it or to provide sanctification. So what in the world is the purpose of this law then? Paul's dealing with it. The law exposes the depravity of man. Man whether it's in my justification or my sanctification, I'm just as depraved. I am, why? Because sin affects the entirety of man. Sin is not just 99%, what well, we've talked about this today, it's not 99% of you. You could say this, Paul would say this about his own testimony. He would say, I, Paul, as a believer, I love the law of God, but I still break God's law Because of the sin that still dwells in me. That's a summary statement of Paul's life. He would stand up here if we said, Paul, you come and preach today. His testimony would be, brothers and sisters, I love the law, but I still break it because of sin that still dwells in me. You see, even in a regenerate man, he still has a carnal man situation. What is that situation? sin still dwells in him. In other words, I can stand before you today and and I can tell you with 100% certainty. I know for sure I'm regenerated. I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to glory with God. I have no reservations about that. I know my salvation is secure. But even as a regenerated man, I know something about my situation. Carnality still exists. Not that I want it to exist. I don't get up today, or tomorrow, saying, I'm going to set out to see how many sins I can commit today. But guess what's going to happen every single day? I'm going to commit them. I didn't get up in the morning and put on my, on my iPhone, on my notepad, and say, you know what, at 12 o'clock, I want to commit this sin. At 2 o'clock, I want to do this one next. At 3, 3 o'clock, I want to commit the sin against my wife and my family. But it still happens. Now, does that mean I don't love the law of God? Absolutely not. I still love God's law. Then why do I keep doing it? Because that's the nature of sin. That's what Paul's conclusion is when he says, I serve, uh, I've been with a mind, I myself serve the law of God. My mind tells me, obey God's law, but my flesh obeys the law of sin. And until you get a glorified body, you are going to be dealing with this over and over again. Now, again, if we take the position that this is an unregenerate man in its full context, what Paul's saying falls apart. There are things that he says when he uses the phrase, I love the law of God. The unconverted does not love the law of God. They look at the law of God and they say the law of God is hindering me from doing what I want to do. So we have to give that, we have to give that credence. If I say I, I love the law of God, I've got to be a believer because the unbeliever doesn't love the law of God because the law exposes who that person really is. We Look what he says in verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual. Now what does that mean? It's been misunderstood to mean, oh, it's some kind of a... Uh, it's not really the law uh, physically. It's just kind of a spiritual thing. No, when we say, as Paul says, that the law is spiritual, it means we have a spiritual understanding of the purposes of the law. Now, why do we understand the purposes of the law? Because we've been led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what's convincing you that the law of God is good today. Okay, so if you believe that the law of God is good That's a lien of the Holy Spirit, because the law is offensive to you. Remember, we've been talking about this. Even as parents, we see this. The first time you tell your children no, or you say don't, what happens? Well, we say to the kids, it's the same thing with the adults. You tell an adult not to do something, and they get offended and say, who are you to tell me what to do? That's the law. You're offended at it. But why can we say today, I love the law of God? Well, because the Holy Spirit has led us. The law can be said to be spiritual because it comes from the Spirit of God. It reaches into the very spirit or the soul of man. But here's what the law requires. The law requires truth and obedience in every part. So in other words, in order to serve the law, something outside of the spirit or outside of the soul requires complete obedience to it. Okay, so let's take this conclusion here. If you're going to say the law is your sanctification, then you have to keep the law entirely to be sanctified. Now we know that's not true because the law can't be kept. So this is the work that the Holy Spirit is doing. Who's fulfilling the full requirements of the law? Jesus Christ is fulfilling the entire requirement of it. That's why our righteousness is in Christ. Our sanctification is in Christ. Our justification is in Christ because he fulfilled the law, not just for our salvation, but for our sanctification. As a result, here's what we know. No matter what we do, the law cannot be truly obeyed and conformed to without this assistance of the Spirit of God. In other words, we know the law is something spiritual. We know it's something that can only be done through God. Even the Apostle Paul himself, he acknowledges, I know it's spiritual, but, see what that see, see what it says? But I am carnal. Spirituality and carnality are on the opposite sides of the spectrum. He says, I know the law to be spiritual. I know it to reach down to the soul and the spirit of God. But here's the problem. I'm carnal. Carnal means in the flesh. What he means is I'm not living a lifestyle intentionally of letting my desires of the flesh rule me. He's saying there's a problem. My flesh, the sin, keeps getting in the way with my love of the law of God. Spiritually, I got it. The Spirit of God is obeying the law perfectly. Christ has obeyed the law perfectly. But here's the problem. I'm carnal. My flesh is still battling against me. And we're going to get to this phrase in a minute. That's the title of the message this morning. Sold under sin. That phrase alone has ramifications of what he's saying there. If he's regenerate, the ramifications are unbelievable. If he's unregenerate, they're still unbelievable. That's why I said, don't be so dogmatic about which one he's specifically talking about because that's not the emphasis. To know the law begins with Paul comparing them. He's comparing what the entire man is. The entire man can clearly be understood as it is where death proceeds from. In other words, death comes from the sin nature of man. Why man dies is not because he broke one sin one day. He dies because of the entirety of himself is sin in its entirety. Folks, we've got to get beyond this idea that there's some good lurking in us that's our own goodness. Until you grasp this, you are constantly going to struggle with what it is to be a believer, what, how to live a believer, and you're going to struggle with the realities of why do I keep sinning? Your sin every day is a reminder of what you really are. Now, it doesn't make it okay in you or in me, but it's a reminder and it's a reminder of your own unrighteousness that if God leaves you to yourself, you will come up empty. Look, I know people, and I'm not going to tell you who I, who they are to me. But there have been people in my life who I have looked at and I have said things like this: "That is the nicest or the greatest person I've ever known. That's the sweetest lady I've ever known. That's that that man. That is a gentleman. If you if you want to, see, and even them." From the, from the crown of their head to the soles of their feet, the entirety of their man was corrupted by sin. And you say, but preacher, they did so many good things. Somebody once told me recently they were very disturbed. It's nobody we know here as far as I know. They were very disturbed at a funeral. They were, they were disturbed because the preacher got up and began. Now, Before I understand, the preacher didn't know the man. He didn't know him. I, I've had to preach sermons. I've had to preach funerals like that. Very difficult. I, I don't know. I had no relation to the person. But one thing that I avoid doing is I can't speak to that man's character. I don't know if he's a good man or not. I don't know if he's a good. I don't know if she's a good lady. But we tend to get into that environment, and we don't want to offend anybody. So we know their loved ones are sitting there, and we say, "Now that was a fine gentleman." Now I'm speaking out of complete ignorance. I have no idea who he is. And the people looking back and saying, "Him or her?" Not from what we saw, she wasn't. Not from what we saw, he wasn't. And we look and we say, "They're a good person." We make that assumption because we don't want to be offensive. Now I'm not telling you if you know how you know somebody's skeletons in their closet. You're asked to preach a funeral. You don't go unload that. And by the way, I've seen that done too. Where that preacher said, praise God, this is my time to tell you what a real person. They were Real, not a good person. I would tell you right then, you ought to go ask that preacher to leave. That's not the place for that. My whole point has been, if you're preaching, you're not necessarily there to preach and talk about the goodness of that person. You're there to preach the gospel of Christ. And if you can say with one certainty, this person claimed to be a believer and praise God as far as we know, they're with Christ. But it's not a eulogy about the goodness of them. It is a presentation of the gospel of Christ to be preached. Now, again, I may have good things to say because I knew them personally. Paul's saying this about himself. I dare say that if you were able to preach Paul's funeral, you would not stand up before and want, he, Paul would not want you to tell how great of a man he was. Paul would have two chapters in his life at least. He would say, this is the chapter I don't want you to talk about. You can talk about this chapter, but here's the problem. Even in his second chapter, he still had sin problems and he still had a, had a nature that did some things he didn't want to do. People often say that. Again, I'm I'm not trying to be ugly today, but I saw a gospel track today, this week. And this is a gospel track, and this is how watered down we're getting. The invitation on the front of the gospel tracks was this. Do you want a new start? Now, I understand the concept here, but you're almost making it sound like now things are going to be totally different. You've got this bad chapter one. But now you've got this opportunity for great chapter two. Now again, chapter one unsaved, chapter two saved. I'm taking chapter two every single time. But I think we confuse this. We think that once chapter two starts, now suddenly I'm not going to have some of those same problems I had. I'm not going to have to deal with sin anymore. I'm going to be a lover of God's love. I'm going to be the perfect picture of what a believer ought to be. And I want everybody to see just how good I am. Because I'm going to be the one that's going to point out everything that's being done wrong because I'm being sanctified by the law of God because I keep the law. You do no such thing, sir or ma'am. You cannot do that. See, we're very quick to say, all I got to do, if I just get saved, I won't have a battle anymore. Paul, if he's regenerate here, he's telling you the exact opposite. He said, I'm carnal. Now, if you take this as a regenerate position, let's just take this. Here's what he says. I know the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, sold under sin. There are people that would say this. Oh, yeah, he's talking present tense, but this can't be so. Because once you're saved, you're no longer carnal, and you can't be sold under sin anymore. The reality is, is that phrase, sold under sin, means to be a slave to. It means to be purchased like in the market. It's like when a slave owner would go and buy a slave. He would purchase that that slave out of a, a choice of people. Paul says, if he's regenerate, he says, I am carnal now in the flesh, and I'm sold under sin. Now again, if he's regenerate, it may lead us to some questions. How can Paul be saved, regenerate, and still carnal? How can he still be sold unto sin? Wasn't he purchased by Christ? Wasn't he ransomed by Christ? He's talking about the depth of where this sin is. Paul, as he compares the law to what the entire man is, there remains, even in a regenerate man, the remnants of the flesh. There are remnants in you and I today, even as saved people, that are contrary to the law of God. In other words, there's a portions of you today that still opposes the law of God and myself. It creates discord. Paul's just making a comparison between nature and the law. You know what your greatest discord that takes place in your human body is? It's the battle between your spirit and your flesh. You've heard the phrase, My flesh is weak. My spirit's willing, but my flesh is weak. That's the battle going on. It's a continual strife. Your big problem, and again, I sound like a therapist. Your big problem is, my big problem is, the strife that's going on between my spirit and my old carnal flesh. Most of the time we talk to people in counseling, you know what they say? My problem is him. My problem is her my problem is my family my problem is my church my problem is my work your problem is you my problem is me i wouldn't act that way if they didn't you'd still act that way if they put you on a desert island by yourself you'd still have a war in your flesh if you put a person in a padded room with no windows nothing but four painted white walls with nothing you would sit there and still have a battle between the law of God and your flesh. But here's what we like to do. No, if it wasn't for the billboard, if it wasn't for the inter- internet, if it wasn't for the TV program, if it wasn't for this, if it wasn't for this, I would not sin. You would still do it. What defiles you is not what's brought in with the eyes or brought in with the mouth. Jesus himself said, what defiles the man is what's in his heart. What he was talking about is your defilement is in you. We know that the law is this. By calling the law spiritual, he's expounding this passage by, he's showing that the the inward affections of the heart are in contrast to the demands of the law. The law is spiritual. In other words, it tells us what it is, what it should be, and it binds not only the feet and the hands to what external works are required, but it's also speaking of what the feelings of the heart are really. And what this is all about. Spiritual. That's the, con- that's the contrast between the flesh and the spirit. The law of the Lord is something that is so high. The law of God is something that is so unreachable. We simply talk about it as something that's just, it's just there. The Bible refers to it in general. We, sometimes you hear it called the Decalogue we look at the law and we just say okay it's just kind of the law posted and it it's it doesn't really have any spiritual value to it somebody made this up somebody determined this is what the law is it's it's much more than just the law it has far reaching implications what that law means that law reveals even the most secret truth of your life your most secret truth that's a sinful secret truth, is a breaking of God's law, even though nobody else knows it. We have sins we will go to our death in that nobody else except us and God will ever know about. And some people parade around as if they don't have those. And you do, and you're still committing those, and I'm still committing those, not because I hopefully set out to do them, but because of the sin that dwells in me. It's still there. There are things about you, you would be mortified if anybody else knew. There are things about me, you would be mortified if you knew about me. It is the man who stands up and says, I don't have any of that problem anymore. You better be real careful around that person, he or she, because they obviously don't get it. I had a church tell me one time, they had a pastor actually say that. He said, I'm without sin. And he stayed? You didn't fire him? You didn't change the locks? That's serious. Paul wouldn't say, with, I mean, I mean, let's be real. If the Apostle Paul couldn't say, I'm without sin, do you really think some guy now in the 2000s is going to stand up and tell you, I've conquered it all, I'm, I'm without sin, follow me? But people believe it. I want what that man has. He doesn't sin anymore. Oh, maybe you don't see it outwardly. But the war inside, he's still battling it. And if he says that, I would dare say he probably isn't saved at all. No saved man stands up and tells somebody, I am without sin. They don't even say it this way, because Christ saved me, I'm without sin. He's a liar. You're not without sin. Now, if you're saved, you're without the wages of sin, which is death you're not gonna be condemned by those anymore. You're not gonna spend an eternity in hell because of those. But if you think you're without the ability to sin or even the sin that Paul writes about, we're sorely mistaken. The law is spiritual. Even the most secret thought or intents or purposes of men, even our stray imaginations are subject to the law of God. What you think about subject to the law of God? As long as I think about it, it's not a problem. As long as I don't do it, it's not a problem. You couldn't be more wrong. It's still a breaking of the law of God. It shows us the depths of what sin really is. I am carnal. That phrase carnal, again, that is the opposite of the doctrine of the law. Carnal means to be corrupt, sinful. It's the nature of the entire man. What does the law require? The law requires perfect righteousness. Perfect righteousness means this, no sin can appear there. Paul says, I am a carnal man who can do nothing but oppose it. In other words, even in my righteous stance, if I'm regenerate, in my flesh, I still oppose the law of God. Do you see how this connects to even salvation? We talked about 10 o'clock. Do you see these connections? This is why this coming to Christ thing is so much more than just, let's just turn on a dime here. People are so quick to say, I just want to see people saved. I just want to see conversions. I want to see great numbers. I want to see great things happening. Folks, so do I. But I'm certainly not going to compromise on the reality that says, listen, It takes some time often for the Holy Spirit of God to truly deal with a man or a woman about the reality and the horrors of who they really are. If it was just as simple as flipping a switch, again, why doesn't everybody accept it? Because there's something still opposed to it. There's still opposition going on. That's why the free will of man left to itself will never, ever, ever choose the law of God. If the Apostle Paul... I'll make this statement. If the Apostle Paul had been left to himself, he would still have been Saul and he would have died in his sins and we'd be talking about Saul in hell, not Paul in glory. But Christ converted him. He was changed. His eyes were opened. He said, Lord, and he was gloriously converted. Did his life get, is this perfect chapter two? No. This is proof that his chapter was not Perfect. Perfect righteousness in which no sin can appear. I am a carnal man. I do nothing to the law but oppose it. From here to the end of the chapter, this is where the opinion comes in. The apostle may be speaking of a person of an unregenerate man where some of these truths are there, or himself as a regenerate, but nothing is clear. He speaks in first person. I am carnal. I myself when he speaks in verse 25, he's speaking in first person. I thank God so that with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh of the law, sin. He's talking about being a slave to righteousness. It's echoing the servant-master relationship, but he does say there's still a problem in who he's going to serve. Several things Paul says here that unregenerate people don't say. Verse 15, he says, I hate, he hates evil, he hates sin, but he also is referred to as delighting in the law of God. In other words, he delights in God's law. Look at verse 22. He says, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity, the law of sin, which is in my members. You see what he's doing here. The distinctions, again, between the flesh and the spirit, the inward and the outward, man. The struggle is between them. They are found in nobody but regenerate persons. A regenerate person can only have that struggle. So that's what makes people say, this has got to be Paul talking about the regenerate. Paul talks about thanksgiving, about being delivered from the law. But yet in verse 24, he says, "'O wretched man that I am, "'who shall deliver me from the body of this death?'' Are y'all following me? He says one thing, I delight in the law of God, but then he calls himself a wretched man. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? That's where you can see why people have gone back and forth. Is he regenerate, unregenerate? Again, the emphasis is the power of sin. Sin dominates his flesh. Christ calls his believers to live outside of carnality, to live outside of division. The apostle Paul himself even wrote in the book of Corinthians, first Corinthians chapter number three. And again, it's interesting that Paul writes these words with the struggles that he was having. He says in, in chapter three of verse one, first Corinthians three, "'And I brethren could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as babes unto Christ.' I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? And then he points them to their carnality. He says, for while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Basically, Paul was telling them, you're causing division by some of you saying you're for me and others are saying you're for Apollos. And then Paul says, who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. And then he goes into the context of I have planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. We all know those verses. The problem is we don't know what the context of those verses. Paul was dealing with division. A sin. People take those verses and say, these are the soul winning verses. And we, we don't even read the first five verses. We just read, I have planned to polish water, God gave the increase. And we say, okay, look, somebody plants a seed, somebody waters the seed, somebody gets saved. The reality is the full context is not even really about that. He's talking about even the seeds of, of envying and the seeds of controversy. Does it happen that way? Certainly. But folks, when we look at these things, and he talks about being laborers together with God. I'm moving quickly, I understand, but think about this for a moment. Paul was talking to people as they were carnal people, but then he goes into Apollos watered, this should not be of you. Now this is a man, Paul, who's not saying that as a perfect man, he was saying it as a preacher who knew what it was to struggle. Paul could have told those people at Corinth, hey, don't do, I, I don't, you don't do this, I'm not, I don't do this anymore. But he does say the reality of this carnality. The spirit of the law, the spiritual aspect of the law of God is now before him. He sees the truths of the spirit, he sees the realities of it. Paul says, even though, if he is taken a regenerate position, even though I'm regenerated, even though I've been renewed by the grace of God, I'm still carnal or fleshly. The remaining verses in chapter 7 are going to show us that Paul's going to say, I often do what I do not justify. And I wish I wouldn't do it again, but yet I do. Look what he says in verse eighteen. He says in back in Romans seven. For I know that in me, parentheses, that is in my flesh, parentheses, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members." We're going to look into this over the next few weeks of what Paul was dealing with here. And for the sake of time this morning, we're going to break this up into two messages because I don't want to get into the remainder of this, but I want us to just go back and look at this phrase, sold under sin. Sold under sin. When we think of selling, we think of something that's active. In other words, if I had a car to sell, I would be active in getting rid of that. Paul is speaking of being sold as if it was done unto him. In other words, he was the one sold, sold unto sin. However, the Bible talks about people that sell themselves unto wickedness. Now, the perfect example here, and we'll finish with this, is in 1 Kings. Go back to the Old Testament book of 1 Kings and look at chapter 21. 1 Kings 21, and I want you to notice a phrase here. Because this is not what Paul is saying. I'm going to leave this with our seed thought for next week. We're introduced or reminded rather of a man by the name of King Ahab. And he's dealing with Elijah, which we are familiar with. And we see this idea of selling himself as an active thing. In other words, making the choice. Paul's saying, I'm not making the choice to do this. It's the sin that dwells within me. But look at 1 Kings 21, verse 20. And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? And he answered, I have found thee because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon thee and will take away thy posterity and will cut off from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall and him that is shut up and left in Israel. And will make thine house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha the son of Ahijah. For the provocation wherewith thou hast provoked me to anger and made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Him that dieth of Ahab in the city the dogs shall eat, and him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air eat. Now watch verse 25. But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up. And he did very abominably in following idols according to all things, as did the Amorites, which the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. And it came to pass when Ahab heard those words that he rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went softly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me? Because he humbleth himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. Again, notice it's referred to Ahab as intentionally selling himself to work wickedness. Paul was not talking about an intent to sell himself to sin. Paul was not saying, because I understand the law and God's grace... I have freedom to sin. Paul was saying there's something much more here. Paul was passive in this, and yet sin still dwelled there. Paul was taking precautions to not allow sin to dominate him, yet he was still sinning. Paul was doing, he was not active. Folks, here's something I want to leave you with today. There are times that Paul was speaking here where Paul was not a voluntary actor in his own sin but he was an involuntary actor. That tells us the depth of where sin goes. It, may under, it could be understood that Paul, when he says he is carnal, he could have been flipping back and forth. He could have said, when I was this, I was this, when I was this, but it doesn't really show us. There are things that we see and we understand here. Here's what we do know. Paul understood, I love the law of God, but yet I still know I'm carnal. The new man is never under the law of sin. In other words, if you've been regenerated, your new nature is never going to be submissive to the law of sin. It's going to be submissive to the law of God. The problem is you have a flesh that will always be opposed to the law of God. And you can say today that, look, preacher, I'm different. I know everybody else in this church has got that battle. I don't. My flesh... And my new nature, they're like this. No, they're not. They're two warring members. They're on each side. You have a warring sin nature in you that's still opposed to God, and you still have it today. You can sit here and say, you can tell me all you want. There is nothing in me that's opposed to God. Maybe nothing voluntary. Maybe nothing you're setting out to do, but you still have a nature that's opposed to every law of God, and your old nature still hates it. Now you can put on the suit, you can carry the Bible, you can come to church, you can sing the hymns and you can say, praise God, I don't have to worry about this anymore. you still got a nature that's still there and it's still sinning. Even if you could outwardly conform to everything some man tells you, you could never get the flesh to conform. Your flesh will never fully conform to the laws of God. It will always be opposed. Next week, we'll deal more with this sold unto sin phrase, and we'll move into a little bit more of what Paul's talking about in verses 15 and 16 as we put these things together. Let's stand together if you would.